Don't wait. You're ready for that now. You're ready to try this in a meaningful way in the real world now. And that is what is you know, a through line through everybody's experience is thus giving students opportunity after opportunity to take a lead, to you know, amplify their voice, and they can look like a lot of different things. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. So welcome to today's episode. As always, super excited about the conversation that we're going to have. And today we have a special treat because we have students um, on the line with us, which is always uh, a wonderful thing for, for us and for our listeners. And today we're going to be talking about One Stone, which is a student-led and directed nonprofit that makes students better leaders and the world a better place. And I can't think of anything that the world needs right now um, than being a better place. So I'm super, super excited excited about the conversation that we're going to have. And joining us for this conversation today is Jesse Ross, who is the Director of Strategic Partnerships at One Stone, and two students who I believe are both um, seniors um, and getting ready to graduate. I see lots of shaking heads. Um, so joining us is Samia uh, Saren, who is a senior at One Stone's Lab 51, and Alani Waite, who is a Y-Labber, a senior again at One Stone. So welcome to to everybody. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us here. Excellent. So since we have listeners who come to us from all over the world, um, so Jesse, I'm going to ask that you sort of set the stage for us and help us understand, first and foremost, what is One Stone and why, why did the founders think this thing was so necessary or needed? Great. Yeah, of course. So as you mentioned, One Stone is a, a student-led education nonprofit. That's an umbrella under which there's many different uh, <laughs> entities. And so that umbrella of a One Stone started off 13 years ago as an after-school program where kids in their community could get involved, make a change um, using the design thinking process. So they were looking around and seeing that there were opportunities and problems that they could have a direct impact on. And, and the founders, Joel and Teresa Poppin, did the thing that they've been doing ever since, which is to say, well, who better than you, students, to solve these problems? And mm -hmm. we're all we're going to do is help create space for that to happen. And over the course of 13 years, this after-school program, which was known at the time as Project Good, grew and grew. And uh, before long, there were students coming from all over the Treasure Valley, which is around the Boise area, mm -hmm. as an after-school program to engage in, you know, uh, all sorts of design thinking, problem-solving opportunities from things relating to mental health to specific, um, you know, medical and prosthetic solutions that they were designing. And before long, and I say before long, or after around nine years, <laughs> uh, the students said, wait a minute, why is this just an after-school program? Mm -hmm. Why doesn't our education during the day look just like this? Yeah. Student-led, focused on real-world problems, us having a voice, us having an impact. And again, Joel and Teresa said, we don't have a good answer. Mm -hmm. why, the, why, why not, right? Really, we, we should say yes to this and make it happen. And so 
that's when what is known as Lab 51 started, mm-hmm. which is the a high school experience for One Stone students. And it's been running now for in its fifth year. And uh, two of our students are here to talk about what that looks like for them. I guess I'll just add that in addition to Lab 51, One Stone continues to be an umbrella organization under which there is a, a student-led design studio and advertising agency that works for clients uh, around the country and around the world. There is a small business or idea incubator that takes students' ideas and brings them to life, such as a recording studio mm-hmm. and a food truck, all sorts of cool opportunities there. Project Good still continues to be a main part of what we do and so much more. But I'm going to turn it over to the students to talk to them or to them to talk a little bit about the Idea 51 experience and Lab 51 for them. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. I'm super excited to hear that. So ladies, so first and foremost, share with us, before we get into the nuts and bolts of your project, which was super cool, and I'm excited to talk about that, but but share with us about um, about Lab 51. And more importantly, because it is, it's not for most of you, or for, I think for either one of you, as I recall, um, you were not there for four years. You actually completed part of your schooling prior to, and so you're fi- essentially finishing school um, with Lab 51. So talk to us about about, about your experience there and why each of you chose this option for high school. And either one of you can just jump right in. I chose it because I really loved just being able to like lead my educational experience. And I loved being able to like focus on anything that I was really passionate about. So like I took a genetics course, for example, and in that genetics course, I um, we were focusing on such as like stuff as like sex and flies and just like um, DNA and uh, criminology. And I was just like, oh, you know, it'd be really cool GMOs. So mm-hmm. I went and I did a whole little study and survey on GMOs and I wrote a paper about it. And I conducted a little um, like survey of people and their opinions on it. And I just did a lot of research on it. And I just think that was, like, something that I wouldn't be able to do at any other school is be able to say, oh, I would love to focus on this and, like, actually, like, focus on it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I looked at One Stone actually because I did my first two years of high school in New Zealand Mm -hmm. um, because my parents chose to move there and then chose to move back two years later. So I really got a taste of how much a non-traditional high school experience can really change the way you think and change the way you approach learning as a whole. And then when I moved back from New Zealand, when I was looking at schools that I wanted to go to here, I found one stone and I was like, oh, this is how my brain works. Mm -hmm. This is what I want to do. I want to look deep dive into all of these wide ranges of interests while also trying all these new things like Two Birds Creative Studio and like Hatch, where I can explore these fields of study that I've never, ever tried before. And I ended up finding a whole bunch of other passions that I really, really liked while also doing things like what Alani said, deep diving into my interests and learning a lot more about specific things that I was Mm -hmm. even more interested in that wouldn't have been Um, involved in the curriculum if I'd gone to like a normal public high school. So I feel like I really got to take control of my learning while also giving myself a lot more freedom to try new things and to branch out and what I like to do. Um, So it's really cool for that reason. 
Yeah, and I really, really love that. I mean, certainly for for me and for the work at my own organization, this whole idea of students leading the way and being heavily involved in what's happening, that is paramount. So So I love that. Jesse, help our listeners understand, because one of the things I know they're struggling with right now is, oh, whoa, 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 wait, that is so cool. But how do you manage the state or federal, depending on where you are in the world, thinking about requirements for what it takes to actually earn a high school graduation diploma and the fact that, you know, these kids are are doing something completely different. How do you balance the 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 requirements versus you know really leading and pushing with passion and creativity that sort of human centric design focus that comes out of one stone? How do you balance these two things out? Yeah, great questions. And so, uh, one, I've got a you know I've got a, a sad four year old behind. So as we're all <laughs> working from home these days, there's uh, there's challenges there, but. Um, that's that's what our life is. Anyway, um, we balance these a few ways. So one, I feel like even before I can, I do want to answer that question. I will is to describe what this looks like mm-hmm. um, in a little bit more detail. So when we say we're student led, one is is in our bylaws. Uh, we state that we are two, our board of directors is two thirds students. Um, mm-hmm. Our chair of the board of the organization as a whole is a student. So my boss, you know, is a student. They make decisions about. Our budget, our hiring, uh, they're very much, you know, a, a professional board. At the level of Lab 51, mm-hmm. we're student-led in the sense that students are picking their learning objectives and saying, oh, I want to grow in my mathematical mindset, and I want to do that in an experience that uh, is, you know, under the umbrella of going out to a local um, proposed mining site, and I want to understand, dig into the numbers on what the, you know, impact of having certain chemicals in the ground in this space will long-term do and how long Mm -hmm. those things take to decay and what's going to happen. So really digging into the details and then being able to come back and say, here's the evidence of my learning. And all of that gets assessed in what we call our bold learning objectives or affectionately our blob which is a competency-based <laughs> <laughs> transcript, uh, which our students don't graduate with any sort of grades. They graduate right. with a, a growth transcript that shows their growth over time in things like mathematical mindset, but also things like you know grit or mm-hmm. uh, altruism or mm-hmm. empathy, uh, which we you know, value just as much, if not more, than some of the specific skills that you might see in a traditional learning environment. So just to kind of give that framework... Yeah. Um, we're able to do this at one stone and particularly, you know, in this day school, which is lab 51 by being an independent school. And so mm-hmm. we don't have to take any standardized tests and we don't have to have any you know, particular um, requirements from the state in order to exist. There are other requirements that we balance that out with, which are for us, how do we fund this? And right. uh, we, provide all of our offerings to students free of charge. That's been true of our mission from the beginning. So whether it's after school or during the school day, mm-hmm. that's free of charge. So we do a lot of fundraising. We have grants that we are working on, and we also are a model provider. And so others around the country and around the world who want to use things like our growth transcript and like our innovative wayfinding program, we work with them to implement those to also mm-hmm. help make sure that all our offerings are free for our students. Right. So essentially, just for clarification for folks, so you, it, it's it's a it's a private school environment um, that is 
is is free because you're underwriting it through all those other mechanisms you just talked about. So because of that, you don't have to meet the same sort of state requirements in terms of earning a high school graduation or a diploma. But then, because I do want to follow up, go back to the to the to the to the gals here in just a second. But I but I know this is going to be just one of those pieces that folks are noodling on as they're listening to this. And I want them to fully understand the full value of what the gals are going to be talking about. Um, so I want to get this out of the way. Um, but ultimately, though, these kids are graduating from high school and applying into a whole host of things afterwards, including post-secondary for some of them. So how, how are you translating, right, the experience at Lab 51 into something that colleges and universities will then say, oh, we can admit that student, they're ready to do that? How does that work? And, I, and we will turn to the students here in a moment so we can yeah. hear their experience of that transition that they're about to make. Perfect. But what I can say is that as your listeners probably know more than others, uh, you know, One Stone is, is certainly not the first organization to be graduating students without yep. a traditional transcript, yep. and that colleges are becoming more and more used to this. And our students have had tremendous success. Um, you know, getting into over 100 college and user universities in the four years that we've graduated, students um, earning you know millions of dollars of mm-hmm. uh, scholarship funds and you know merit-based scholarship funds. And having, you know, so many doors open to them. So what it takes for us is, you know, conversations with these colleges and universities as we apply so that we can tell them, this is what you'll be receiving. You'll be receiving a growth transcript Mm -hmm. and a transcript that also lists, you know, these are the courses more or less that the students have taken, but nowhere Mm -hmm. on there is there a translation into grades. That makes sense for what we're doing. And the colleges aren't asking for it. They, especially those that have had any of our students enroll mm-hmm. there, they come to us the next year and say, do you have more? You know, right. the, the students that are coming out with the ability to, you know, talk about the skills that they are able to apply to a range of situations mm-hmm. and to be able to recognize that it's not specific knowledge that they need to carry with them. It's an understanding of their own growth mindset and ability right. to learn. So we've had tremendous success with that uh, each year more and more. And in fact, the, you know, that was the number one question for parents who are thinking about mm-hmm. enrolling their students early on. And now uh, we've got so many people applying to, to go to Lab 51 now that we have to be, you know, um, unfortunately, turning a number of people away. Yeah, so it's been yeah. really successful. Yeah, that's a it's, it's a good problem to have, and it's yeah. a problem, right? And you know, ultimately, you will, you you'll get into the conversation of scale and what does that look like. But but for now, it's a great problem to have. So, ladies, let's dig in a little bit to this experience. So, the two of you partnered up and participated in a youth innovation challenge, um, which um, Jesse alluded to at the very beginning um, of the interview, and and sort of that work and that project consumed an awful lot of your time. So I want to have you share with our listeners sort of about what that was and why um, you participated um, in that, what you got out of it, um, what was meaningful. And then we're going to turn the, the the conversation around and sort of ask you sort of about how some of those experiences then translate to the way you think about your own future. So let's start with a little bit about your Youth Innovation Challenge. Um, so I'm actually the one who found out about the Youth Innovation Challenge. I was just looking for something very like interesting um that was focused on either entrepreneurship or business that's what i'm very passionate mm-hmm. about um and i found the youth innovation challenge and i was like oh this is really cool um and i asked sonia here to join me because i just thought it would be a really fun opportunity and it sounded a lot like um the design labs which we have here at one stone where you collaborate and then solve a problem in your community and it was essentially um that so we were given numerous businesses who um, 
uh, basically told us their problems in these little videos, and we decided to pick one. We landed on Black Box VR, and their problem was essentially that they wanted a video game that could also be a fun and effective workout. <laughs> so we picked that problem, and we came up with our game, Lab Run. Yeah. So, so you were taking a video game, just to clarify. So basically, you know, making exercise fun. Yeah. Yes. Because, yeah. you know, there's so many of us that are like, oh, not today, right? Yeah. It was a virtual reality workout video game. So it's kind of a mouthful. Mm-hmm. But um, it actually worked out really well because Alani's really, really into things like video games. And I'm kind of a little bit of a gym rat. So I um, am really into fitness and working out. So we were able to really combine Mm -hmm. our interests, combine what we were good at um, in a way that really works out in the end. Well, so, so share with us a little bit. So you take on this challenge and you're doing this work, but what, what exactly, what exactly is the work? What's the innovation that you're proposing, you know, and then what is that interaction with that business and industry partner? Because that's one of those things that quite frankly, regular schools really, really struggle with the whole, how do I partner with industry in a meaningful way for my students? A and B, students don't often really get an opportunity to truly interact in a meaningful way, and you did. So, share with us about that experience. Yeah, so um, we kind of follow the design thinking, Stanford's design thinking model mm-hmm. that is a really big part of One Stone's curriculum and what they do. So, Lonnie was very familiar with that from the beginning because she'd been here for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, this is actually my first year at One Stone. Um, I came in as the Y Labber, which is not usual. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had never really had any experience with the design thinking process. So what we basically did is we took the problem and we tried to empathize with what our end user would have wanted. So we went, okay, imagine we are someone who maybe doesn't like working out and likes video games or mm-hmm. really does like working out but doesn't like video games. How can we combine these in a way that makes it interesting to everyone. And then we went through a brainstorming process that is called a sticky note throwdown, where you just throw down any idea that you Mm -hmm. have, no matter how impossible it may seem, no matter how irrelevant it may seem on a sticky note for one minute. And then you just keep turning out ideas. And at the end, you look through all of them and go, oh wait, some of these are actually really, really good ideas. and we landed on um, and I, the idea for Lab Run, which is kind of a third-person game where you are watching yourself run from this mad scientist through, like, a laboratory and through the ocean and through a snow mountain. And you're squat jumping to get over obstacles or jump over them. And you're doing all of these different exercises to help you run away from this mad scientist and get over these obstacles, which probably seemed wild when we first were looking at the problem, but it actually really worked out. Yeah. That's awesome. And I love the fact that, you know, we have to run from the mad scientists, right, in this day and age. That's perfect. So share with me a little bit about what happened next, right? Because you you came up, you did the challenge, but this actually had legs, no pun intended, right? I mean, the as I understand it, the company was really responsive and receptive to the ideas that you put forward. So what did that sort of relationship and interaction look like beyond just the challenge itself? 
Um, they we ended up getting an email from um the Black Box Black VR after we'd won. Mm-hmm. Yeah, after we won, just like congratulating us and how interested they were. Yeah, and they basically told us that they were interested in implementing our idea mm-hmm. into their business. Um, and interested with work or interested in working with us to do so. Um, we have yet to do that because we've been doing a lot of college applications yeah. and stuff like that. <laughs> but hopefully we'll actually have the time soon to go in and work with them on that. Yeah. So yeah. That's very cool. So Jesse, would you say that the experience that these ladies have at, at Lab 51 is pretty typical or is this atypical? Yeah, great. And I want to realize for your listeners, we, we uh, Lab 51, I just want to explain real quick, we mentioned the design thinking process. And yeah. for us, we, we use this term 51 it because we say that the first 50 ideas are the ones that everybody else has already had. Mm-hmm. And once you get to that 51st idea, you push through to something pretty original. And that's why we have Lab 51. So just I to, that. to yeah. clarify that, um, you know, What's interesting is is there's nothing that is typical at One Stone because everything is personalized. Mm-hmm. Now, what we're hearing, though, is students who, through their time at One Stone, have been given the opportunity and encouragement to follow up on their interests, explore their passions, and then test those in the real world. Mm-hmm. That is very typical. What mm-hmm. that looks like is a lot of different things. For some yeah. students, that might end up meaning that they are going to spend half their day uh, at uh, a local technical school getting their EMT certi- mm-hmm. certification because they have been able to dive in and explore their passions and interests and then are saying, oh, you know, I really want to do something more there. And we tell them, well, don't wait. You're ready for that now. You're mm-hmm. ready to try this in a meaningful way in the real world now. And that is what is you know, a through line through everybody's experience is thus giving student opportunity after opportunity to take a lead to you know, amplify their voice, and they can look like a lot of different things. Um, because this was, a, you know, an experience that you're hearing about here that was prompted by, you know, an outside of one stone right. challenge. And for us, as an organization, though, we we see, you know, the city and the, you know the world as our 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 learning space, and right. that there's not any reason why we should say, well, that doesn't take place within our walls. We say, of course, you know, right. anything, everything else we're doing, all of our design thinking challenges, which take about 40% of the week, the students are engaged in those, um, are constantly involving, you know, community partners, challenges and opportunities mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that originate outside of our space. We work as a team to, you know, our role, we're not teachers, we're coaches. Our, right. our, our role is to connect students and opportunities, students and resources and then to get out of the way. And so that is is something that is is typical of most students' experiences. Yeah, yeah I love that. So ladies, if you spend about 40% of your time working on design challenges of some description or another, what are you doing with the other 60% of your time when you're at um when you're there? So every day of the week kind of looks different, yeah. um, which is why when people ask these questions, it's kind of a long answer sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> um, but we um, we do things called experiential learning opportunities, mm-hmm. experiences, 
um, which are, I guess, the closest thing we have to classes, I would say. Um, and those can look like anything from, like last semester, I did one on um, Eastern religions. Mm-hmm. And my end project was about the right appropriation of those Eastern religions. Mm-hmm. I also did one last year, or not last year, last semester, on using mathematical application to explain um, the existence of some social justice issues. So mm-hmm. mine was focused on fast fashion. But other people in those experiences did projects on totally different topics within that kind of sphere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, this um, semester, I did coding geospatial data where we coded a map and I ended up uh, creating a map that showed all of the stolen artwork in the world and why it was stolen and how much it was valued um and then I also ended up doing uh well right now I'm doing to the stars where we're focusing on just um the galaxy and science and right now I'm going to be talking about the theories of white holes in the universe and um, theories surrounding them. Um, And like last semester, I did, um, for example, Beating the Odds, which was a a math course where we used um, gambling games. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's great. um, Calculate the odds of like winning Mm -hmm. a game or your odds of winning if this game was fair. And we had to end up creating we had to, uh, we ended up partnering in groups of people with um, creating a game that had fully fair odds. So it was fair for the house and it was fair for the players. And it was just really cool being able to do that. And we even got to like do the math and show our math on how we made mm-hmm. it was fair and why it was fair. Yeah, that's, that's really that's really awesome. So if you're you're a kid, I'm just gonna like pie in the sky here. So you're you're a kiddo whose interest is in biomedical engineering, for example, right? That's just your passion. You want to create devices to to help people be healthier or whatnot. Um, and yet you need to 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 walk away from some of these amazing projects that you get to engage in with a real robust understanding of calculus, because when you go into post secondary, you're gonna have have to do a fair amount of that. So, so help me understand. So, do you learn the calculus you need in the moment because you're working on a design challenge and a problem, as opposed to just going to calculus to learn calculus for the sake of learning calculus? Well, you could end up using calculus yeah. experience. It depends on your mathematical mm-hmm. it's a little, expertise. It's a yeah. little bit of both. So, every almost every day, I think mm-hmm. we have um, writing sprints and math sprints Mm -hmm. where we use those like we learn those typical like math and reading kind of skills that Uh you need to be able to do all these cool things um and then when you're in those experiences you sometimes will learn extra math that's specific Mm -hmm. to that topic so like when I was using the mathematical application to work um to explain a lot of the issues with fast fashion, I learned a lot of math topics that were specific to that. Mm -hmm. I bet you learned a lot of math topics specific to the gambling Mm -hmm. one. So it is a little bit of both. Um, And you also earn credits, like the typical math, science, English credits from those experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you're in the equity and, oh, that was the name of mine. If you're in that 
social justice and math course, you can say, okay, my project is going to be more heavily math-based, so that's what I'm going to count for my math credit. Um, whereas another person in that same experience will say, mine is more social science-based, mm. so that's going to count towards my social science credit. Yeah. And then just to clarify, when she's talking about math sprints and writing sprints, those are separate. They're, they're not really experiences. Mm-hmm. They're essentially just like courses that we end up taking. And sometimes they're rotating every three weeks. Sometimes they're longer. And there's different levels as mm-hmm. well. Sometimes you might, some people may be in fractions, while some people may be in pre-calc and yeah. be in calculus. And some mm-hmm. people may be working on limits and ratios. Yeah. And those are even personable too. Like yeah. last semester, I took a math sprint that was entirely just deep diving into limits and calculus, which they can get mm-hmm. super, super intense and in-depth and abstract, really. Yeah. And this semester, my writing sprint is um, focused on using like sensory imagery specifically. Mm-hmm. So you can also take and to kind of personalize the math and writing sprints to what you're really interested in and what your skill set is as well. Yeah, like <laughs> I've done scientific writing where we have like read scientific papers and then wrote about them and made sure that we like really understood what we mean. And I've also taken poetry, which is what we're actually mm-hmm. doing right now, where we're just writing poems about things around us and just getting really involved in that. And all of those go back to the blog. So the whole time we're doing this, we're looking at our blob and we're going, okay, what areas of the blob do I want to grow in? And how are these experiences and these sprints that I'm taking going to help me get there? And I think that's, thank you for those excellent explanations there. And I want to add on to what Sonia is describing about our blob, or our bold learning objectives, mm-hmm. which is also a, a, a student record. It's a, it's a, our growth transcript, right? And uh, the, one thing she's mentioned, which is so important to us, is that is collaboratively assessed, right? So that mm-hmm. we ultimately feel that this should be something that the student owns and says, this reflects where I am on this journey towards mastery on any of these skills. Wow. And that it also is something that, you know, you're able to use to target growth and to get feedback on. And it's not just something that a teacher says you earn to be, that's it, and then right. move on from, right? And so if it were the area of, scientific inquiry or something like mindfulness, mm-hmm. the, the process starts with a mentor saying to Samia, saying, okay, you know, this semester, where do you feel you are on these? Let's have you indicate that first. And then I'm going to follow up and ask you to demonstrate in a portfolio presentation why you feel that you are, uh, you know, advancing or proficient in that particular skill. And if you show me that evidence, that's that's great. And if it feels like not there yet in terms of evidence, then go back and see if you can find that evidence. And if not, then let's make that a goal for next time. Mm-hmm. And then we as coaches also gather in a space and we're actually able to do this now in a digital space. We're able to use an app to do some of this, but to be able to yeah. say, yeah, I saw that. I saw mm-hmm. Samia you know, using uh, advancing mindfulness in this particular experience. It looked like this. It was in this context. And let's make sure that that's reflected in there. So it's this you know, very much, you know, collaborative, evolving 
assessment tool mm-hmm. that ultimately, you know, hopefully the student walks away with, with a strong sense of not only, you know, where they are in these things, but what it looks like to grow in mindfulness. Mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, a tremendous skill or in any of these areas. Yeah. yeah, I completely agree. And I, there are so many aspects of this conversation that I love. I just can't say that enough. I mean, I, I was so drawn to, to, to one stone's philosophy and then programs and the, the implement, uh, the implementations that have come out of that, um, just because it just feels so mission aligned to me, um, and also, I mean, you know, just listening, lis- listening to to the two of you talk about your experience, it's it's absolutely clear to anybody that 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 listens that you loved the experience. You've gotten so much out of it, and I would argue probably so much more than if you found yourselves in it in a more of a traditional learning environment. I always want to close the program recognizing that folks are going to have a million questions, and I hope that um, we can redirect them uh, to Mr. Ross and uh, and maybe even you know filter through through the two of you depending on what their questions are. But I do want to circle back around about one last piece of the conversation, and that is really about this idea around human centric design, right? Because as I'm listening to the two of you talk about your experience, you are living human centric design. But I don't think that there are lots of folks out there in the world that really understand how. How that notion of human-centric design translates itself or finds itself fully and easily embedded into the world of learning. So, uh, Jesse, I'm going to start with you, and then we'll we'll ask the the ladies to sort of close this concept. But what does what does that component of what happens within the One Stone ecosystem really mean to you? Yeah, uh, you know, at a very high level, right? Human-centered design is using empathy to solve mm-hmm. problems and create mm-hmm. opportunities. Well, for an individual learner, that's what life is. <laughs> like the, the you know, real world experience is going out, encountering something, uh, you know, a person, a story, uh, you know, an opportunity, and then reflecting on that, deciding, you know, what's the best path forward for me to be able to grow as a human being? Mm-hmm. That's, you know, very broad and, and a bit abstract. But I think, of course, when we pull that into an academic space, that rather than just being, you know, a project our students can engage in, the the most important thing we can do with human-centered design and and empathy is look inward and say, Mm -hmm. well, if we want learning experiences to be valuable, for them to solve problems and create opportunities, then we need to use empathy. And the way we use empathy in the learning space is to turn to, in design thinking terms, our end user, in Mm -hmm. that case, are our students. Students, what, you know, what is your experience? What is it that you find you know, uh, thrilling? And what is it that you find boring? And mm-hmm. how do we turn to you and help you co-create this experience with us? That is what we do with design thinking. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Um, Alani, what about for you? For me, uh, let's see. Human-centered design for me is... I guess it's just such a common thing in my life now because mm-hmm. um, of the way we learned it in classes. We had design labs where I don't think I ever really touched on that is where we just collaborate with our um, with um, students and we end up working towards uh, a solution for a problem within our community. Um, and essentially that's just what I felt like I've been doing a lot in all of my classwork eventually, I have just been able to recognize those steps 
um, and learn them on my own and even practice it on my own, which is, I think, what we did here in the Youth Innovation Challenge. Mm-hmm. I just feel like it's, I'm very comfortable with the idea of human-centered design, and I think I'll be able to say that anywhere. Like, if I were in an internship outside of One Stone, or when I'm in college creating mm-hmm. a project or pitching an idea for a business competition, I just feel like that's something that I'm not really comfortable with. And I feel like we just use it in so many aspects. Yeah, I love that. Um, Samia, what about for you? Yeah, so as someone who was not originally super comfortable and familiar with the design thinking process, mm-hmm. I think before I started learning about it and learning with it, um, I kind of viewed learning as something that was really, really fun. And I got to understand all these new perspectives around, about the world and have all these cool experiences. And then I got the grade and that was it. And it was fun, mm-hmm. but that was really the end of it, kind of. And I think with the design thinking process, it really helps me to both find that joy in gaining knowledge and experiences and understanding, and then also reflect it back to help create these solutions and create these ways to make the world better um, by using that understanding that I got from the people and the world around me to actually do it in a way that works for them as well. And I think that's really, I mean, not to get deep here, but I feel like that's really what life is about is like, taking all those experiences and having that fun and joy and understanding and learning and then using that to make the world a better place. Yeah. Yeah. It's about opting in, right? Yeah. 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 So on that note, I want to thank um, all three of you for opting in. um, As a matter of fact, Um, you know, the journey that you've been on, it's truly, truly inspirational. And I do hope our listeners will reach out because I honestly believe that um, there is so much to learn um, from the 13 years of work and effort um, and thinking, the, the, the success, the failures, the ups, the downs um, that I have no doubt that have come through one stone. But it's, there's no question whatsoever that um, it is a gift um, to the kids who had the opportunity to participate in that. So for that, that's super exciting. So, um, so all three of you, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.